Welcome to Advantage Insight. My name's Wayne. Thanks for everybody listening to the show. I hope everybody's been having a great time. We hit our, I believe, half a year mark or so recently, and we're still going strong. Unfortunately, Alex couldn't be with me tonight um, as we record, but I do have a very special guest as we go into this show. I do want to give you guys a little bit of a background. So you may not remember from a few years ago when there was a lot of living, living campaigns, a lot of organized play campaigns. And one of our favorites, well, one of my personal favorites, was a campaign called Living Arcanus. And I'll be very honest, the reason I love this so much was a friend of mine who's, who's now passed away, this was his favorite campaign. We would talk about this endlessly. And one of the things that he was always able to do was he was able to get to know the people behind the campaign. I believe he even got involved at one point. And um, before he passed away, this was his thing. Whenever we wanted to know something, this was his thing. And sort of as a little bit of a tribute to him, being, I can't interview him, obviously. I do have somebody that he was friends with, and I hope that everybody enjoys having on the show. So I'd like to introduce, and it's my pleasure to introduce, Henry Lopez of Paradigm Concepts. Henry, thank you so much for being on the show with us today. Thank you very much, man. I appreciate coming on. And actually, Henry was kind of reintroduced to me uh, by Robert Arducci, and there's a lot of stuff that we want to go through. But I'm going to stop talking because you guys are here to listen to Henry talk. So let's start with this. Henry, what is Arcanus? It was originally a, uh, an idea that I had for a series of novels way, way back in the, uh, in the 90s. And that I did some work on. And I actually transferred that into a role-playing game for my own home group. Just to work out some, some plot ideas and whatnot. In the year 2000... I had the opportunity, because of different things, my, my career was doing very well, and my friends and I were very interested in getting into the, to the RPG industry, or the gaming industry, and we decided to do a role-playing game. And the funny thing is, the original role-playing game was not Arcanus. The original role-playing game was a, a pulp game that I love. Um, I love pulp. Well, this, that's the, uh, the two-fisted um, adventure kind of thing from the 1930s, uh, Doc Savage's Shadow and whatnot. And we started to, to develop that. When Wizards announced that their third edition uh, D&D uh, game was going to be uh, open to third-party publishers uh, through the original OGL. And that was an opportunity we, we couldn't uh, pass up. Eventually, and by we, I meant my business partners and I, eventually settled on my original idea for our games. And it went from novel to campaign setting. The campaign setting did very well. I think uh, not just because of its uh, difference from every other type of campaign setting that was out at that time, but also because of the living campaign, which I know we want to get to later, and I don't want to digress on that uh, just yet. But uh, in a nutshell, what Arcanus is, it is a grim and dark, but not bleak, I should say, but it is grim, it is dark, epic fantasy campaign. And the reason it's grim and dark isn't because we go out of our way to make things overly miserable <laughs> for the players. <laughs> but what we do do is we present the world as it might exist in the real world. And by that I mean is that the uh, the heroes and villains are not lily-white or you know utter blackness of the heart. Everything falls upon a spectrum of, spectrum of gray. So even the, uh, the heroes of the Empire, as we call it, have their flaws. And the most villainous of the villains, if you will, have their, their virtues. Or at least they have a reason why they're doing things that are not just twirling my mustache because I want to be evil kind of thing. I want to destroy the world kind of thing. 
And I think this is best exemplified in the religion. Religion plays a big part in Arcanus. And um, what, what I wanted to do was I wanted to present the gods, quote-unquote, rather than having just a bunch of, of desperate you know, deities. And this is the good god, and this is the evil god, and, and everybody else falls in between. I want to harken back to the original you know, Greek and Roman mythologies, which, which for me were, were my, my love and my passion as a child, and created a pantheon. And it's called the Pantheon of Man. And there are 12 gods on there. And they themselves do not have a, uh, if you will, an alignment. There's no, no one that's inherently good or evil. However, the, uh, the different aspects of the gods that are chosen by the various religions on Arcanus, you know, on the planet, by the people, that could be de- uh, determined or viewed as good or evil depending on the, the social and cultural mores of the, the culture that you're in, or of the, uh, of the, the empire, of the nation, the kingdom that you're in. Which leads to great role-playing opportunities where you could have two priests or two holy champions of the exact same god, but diametrically opposed because they worship different aspects of that same god. So, for example, you could have the uh, two worshippers of, of Neroth, the god of death, and the god of the undead. You could have one guy who worships the aspects, or, or, or he follows in the church that worships the aspects of Neroth as the person or the, the deity that takes away or protects you from disease. And then you may have one from the other side in Canceri, who are the ones that spread disease as a way of thinning the herd and, and making people stronger. So there is that as well. One of the things that I always saw for Arcanus was a lot of different real-world parallels, not just in religion, but in, in culture. You mentioned a, a childhood love of Greek and Roman mythology, which I love. Was that one of the, the big things kind of starting when, for the novel line as well? Yes. One of the things that I wanted to do was, well, especially, let me back up. I haven't played D&D since almost the beginning. I was playing since I was 15 years old back in 1977. So I was playing the White Box, which my, my friends brought down from a, from a, a trip to, to Wisconsin that they wanted to visit a family up there. So we've been playing for a long time. But it was always European medieval-centric, which at that time, since it was brand new, that was great. But after a while, it was normally, I mean, I'm not going to say all of them, obviously, but the majority of the worlds centered on, on that kind of, uh, of uh, environment. Darksome, which is one of my favorite TSR world settings, took it out of that environment and put it into something truly alien, also like Planescape. So I wanted to do something similar to that, and I went, well, I don't need to go to such an extreme. All I have to do is just shift time periods, and instead of, of um, centering it on uh, medieval-centric, or European medieval-centric uh, environment or, or culture, I'll go to the ancients. And I settled on ancient Rome as the template for the Coriani Empire. And the reason it's called Arcanus, the world of the shattered empires, is because there's been a series of empires that have risen and fallen. And, and this one, the most current one, the Coriani Empire, which, like I said, is modeled off of the Roman Empire, has fractured over the centuries and has different uh, satellites kingdoms and, and nations surrounding it. Well, it, it is still there, and it's going through... The original intention was for it to completely disintegrate. But thanks to uh, player intervention, <laughs> eventually uh, <laughs> brought it back up, and, and that did not that did not occur. They actually did hold back the tide of night and left the Korean Empire uh, intact. Smaller, but intact. So, um, which is another thing we'll, we'll get into later uh, when we talk about the living campaign, of uh, players actually, their actions dictating the way the world 
Church. But yes, so the ancient Roman Empire was a huge uh, influence. People really got a kick out of, instead of being in the, the tavern, you know, looking for the, the, the mysterious cloak person or, or getting a uh, tip by the bartender, you know, they're hired by agents of a person, of a senator, or they're fighting for the emperor and the empire or, or whatnot. So it's, it's, it's kind of neat. The basic tropes are still the same. The wrapping is a little different, but at the end of the day, like I say, every story has been told. It's just the way you present it. And we're, um, we're hoping to present it in a way that's, that's uh, fresh and different. You just mentioned our next question, which is basically, and obviously I think the, the listeners are getting a little bit of an idea, but the themes and tropes of Arcanus, those are definitely different than, let's say, a high fantasy campaign like Forgotten Realms. Where did you, you know, obviously you drew something from Greek and Roman mythology, but where did you draw those themes and tropes from? And I'm sure it wasn't just you, but where are those built up? Like, what are the core themes and tropes of Arcanus? Well, uh, at the core, the theme is conflict. And it's all different types of conflict. National conflict, religious conflict, racial conflict. And by race, I, I don't mean... Um, um, uh, different ethnicities. I'm talking about actual, this is a fantasy campaign, we do have different species, right? We have the humans, and we have uh, the Lori, which is our our analog to the elves, but not really. <laughs> Only cosmetically, <laughs> perhaps. And it's core, they're very, very different. And whatnot. And there's, there's all sorts of give and take and, and pulling there. And I find conflict is um, at, at the core of everything. That's what makes it interesting. No one wants to, to role-play or even read a novel Oh, a story that goes, the man got up, went to the 7-Eleven because, uh, to buy a lotto ticket, hoping to win the lotto because his mother was in, in dire straits, uh, financially or, or whatever, or illness or whatnot. Well, not and he won. It was happily ever after, period. Yeah, you know? There has to be conflict. There has to be something to strive to overcome some obstacle and that must be uh, dealt with for there to be, uh, in my opinion, an interesting story. That's where our case came from. What are the conflicts that we could make? What are the conflicts that might be interesting, not just from the um, an external point of view where the players kind of look out and see, okay, these two nations are going to war, but even uh, something as, as basic as within the, within the party themselves. So may I give an example? Of course. I mentioned the Elori. Now, the Elori were uh, or are a race that are were originally a servitor race. They were created to serve the Sethergore Empire, which is kind of like the, um, the, the, the reptilian empire led by snake men, serpent men called the Sanu and whatnot. And they, they used them as almost cannon fodder. And they were created basically from the different elements of the, the multi-sphere. And one of the, the head Sanu uh, wizards or sorcerers contacted what are called the elemental lords, these four elemental lords, one of each, earth, earth air, uh, fire, and water, made a pact. And in conjunction with the, the life guard of the goddess of Arcanus called Belisarda, created these five different uh, subspecies or, you know, that collectively are known as the Elori. Make a long story short, these people, the Elori eventually overthrew the, uh, the, the Sethrix, you know, the, the Reptilians, founded their own empire, everything was fine for a few thousand years, humans pop up on the shore, and then it all goes horribly, horribly wrong. It's a long story, <laughs> I'm not going to get into all the details and the nuances, but at the end of the day, the human deities basically ate <laughs> the the uh, Lori goddess, with the exception of Belisarda, which which is uh, which escapes. And by ate, I mean they actually absorbed their essence. So basically, the human gods killed the Lori gods, 
And then uh, there's a there's a line that says, "As above, so below." So as the the humans uh, deities are are defeating the the Lord deities, the, the Loring deities, they're told, "You know, this will be yours by the gods." Basically, this this land, this this territory that once belonged to the Lord is now yours. Take it, or at least that's what the the story goes. How the story goes, humanity betrays the or, or does it betray? Well, like I said, long story. I don't want to get into all the the details. I don't, I'm, I don't want to bore everybody. But um, they eventually overthrow the the Lori. There's um, you know huge battles and wars, but eventually humanity wins, and the Lori are forced into exile into different places like uh, the the vast woods where they they, they kind of like uh, uh, hid and, and from the humans and eventually made made a, a safe area for themselves. So now thousands of years later, the Lori, since they've been uh, in isolation for for so long, decide to see what's going on because of certain prophecies or whatnot. And they send out this group called the Lorestries. And they're there to see if mankind has changed. Or what's going on with the, the world outside. That's what the player characters are. If they play any Lord. Oh, very interesting. So what is the conflict? Do they get along well with, these, with the humans? Do they not? The humans are like, you know, this happened thousands of years ago. I don't remember. The Lori are immortal. And they reincarnate, keeping their memories. So they, you know, somebody who was born you know, recently, the past few decades still has the memories of things that occurred in their previous lives from thousands of years in the past, so it's still fresh to them. Again, conflict. So right there you have some sort of, uh, of conflict. And it just goes on and on from there. Uh, like I mentioned, the religious conflict. We have uh, various religions that um, worship the pantheon of man that have split their schisms within it. We have the, the core uh, mother church of Corium, which I fashioned after the, uh, the Catholic church. If the Catholic church were polytheistic rather than monotheistic, and then we have the Melandric Orthodox Church. We have the Theocracy of Canceria with the churches that are triumvirate, et cetera, et cetera. So you have all these schisms of people, you know, once again, you know, who is, who is correct, who has the true word of, of the gods and whatnot. So, again, conflict. And that's what it all is. At the end of the day, it's all about conflict. And, yes, we still go through dungeon crawls. We still go through, um, you know, epic battles and, and role-playing. But there's that underlying current of tension. Which can or, or, or can be ignored, obviously, by by uh, GMs and their, and their players. But our um, our uh, fan base, um, at least the ones who are, who are playing in the living campaign that I have uh, at least annual uh, meetings with, uh, Origin of Gen Con and whatnot, that's what they love. That's what they feed off of. You know, the stories that they, that they put together. So I, I, I do remember Vince would, would always go on about those conflicts and those those things that were happening, the movement of the story, the next fight, the next enemy. This was over 10 years ago, so that was definitely uh, something interesting. Very quickly, uh, before we kind of get into the history lesson, where did this inspiration of conflicts come from? Was it just something that came naturally developed in the story? Was it something that developed with the campaign? Or was that something you guys specifically wanted to focus on? It was just something that I've always been, been interested in from the very, very beginning. Obviously, since I, I mentioned I had started this as an idea for a novel series, there had to be conflict there. And it was just a theme that I thought was, was very interesting. And I, and I wanted to explore it. And, and after what, what we've been running now, what, 15, 16 years now of Arcanus, and I'm still exploring new things, new stories, new facets, and I'm seeing them mature and conflicts maturing and falling in and on themselves. And whatnot. You know, it's, it's something that I think is eternal because it's something that we live, we as human beings on earth, I'm talking about, we live with daily. 
and a, a different a, a different um, uh, types of conflict, obviously different uh, levels of conflict. You know, everything from uh, Black Friday shopping madness, if if you indulge in, in that sort of thing. You know, very low level kind of. Well, it could be high level, I guess, <laughs> but uh, or to you know, to very very high level uh, types of conflicts that, that you may have uh, issues that you you have at work at home with others. So, I think as as humans, we're we're constantly driven. To overcome and, and to and to better ourselves by learning, because I think we learn through conflict. You know, we learn more about ourselves. And should we have reacted that way? Gee, you know what? I shouldn't have said that. You know, next time I won't. I won't overreact. I'll, I'll try to bide my time. I'll count to ten. You know, that sort of thing. And I think it's an internal monologue that we have within ourselves that evolves as we interact with others. You said just earlier, you know, fifteen years of living campaigns. So let's go into the history lesson now. <laughs> okay. And, and it's a long, it's a very, very long history. Let's start with paradigm concepts. This wasn't uh, something that came along in 74 when D&D came along. This was something that you guys started. Give me that lesson. Give me that history behind paradigm concepts going into Arcanus, and we'll talk a little more about the organized play in a sec. Actually, I have the perfect segue for it because it features uh, one of our most valuable uh, team members. Well, the whole thing, like I said, started with, I was doing consulting. I was a, uh, a tech head way back when. In the late nineties, and my uh, two best friends were consulting on a big project in, in um, Tulsa, Oklahoma. Obviously, we're, and we're all from uh, just in case people don't know, we're from Miami, Florida. So we're traveling and, and we're doing the consulting, and, and we're doing very, very well financially because that was the you know the tech boom that was going on, and, and it was great. And we had a lot of time of our hands downtime since we weren't at home. You know, so we were kind of like together. We were sharing an apartment. We just started talking about you know doing this. Uh, wouldn't it be great when we have the funds available to uh, invest and form a corporation and start this this idea? And like I said, we started with Pulp the Age of Menace. That was that was going to be the game, and we even started designing it. And I started you know doing the the background uh, on it and whatnot when this uh, opportunity arose, and we just dove in full force. At that time, the the gig that we were all on was over, and it, you know it was only a, I think it was a fourteen month uh, uh, contract. We came back home, and unfortunately, that's when the tech bubble burst, and we had very, very hard times, you know, trying to find jobs or whatnot because nobody was hiring anymore, and our skill set. While we were doing that, we, we decided, well, we had to make use of our time as well, so we kind of like dove uh, into this, and my business partners too, to lesser or greater degree, but we were all pretty much had our head in the game and, and trying to create the most entertaining and enjoyable role game and experience. I was having a car, I don't remember how it happened, but I was having a conversation with one of our business partners, Nelson Rodriguez. And I think it was, I don't know if he said it or I, or I mentioned it, but he says, you know, there's this um, big convention called Winter Fantasy, which, of course, I knew about from all the ads and Dragon magazines over the years, you know, Winter Fantasy, Winter Fantasy. But it was way up in, um, I believe it was Indiana at the time. And um, he, said, you know, he said, you know, this is where our clientele is going to be. We should go there, talk to people, and see what happens. So we went there. And they were running, I believe it was Living City at the time. I don't think Living Greyhawk has started, or maybe Living Greyhawk has started yet. I'm not, I'm not 100% sure on that. But I was looking around and I saw what was going on there with the Living Campaigns. And it just so happened that Peter, uh, Peter Baranichea, who was our, our lead designer, was there. Completely, you know, un, un, unplanned. He was also there attending because he enjoyed the Living Campaigns. He really liked that sort of thing. And uh, obviously, we've, I've known Peter. Well, now it's been over 30 years, but you know, it's been quite a while since I've known each other since we were much younger. 
And we started talking, and he was telling me, you know, how the the ideas of the Living Campaign works and whatnot. And basically, over that weekend at uh, Winter Fantasy, by I think we got there on a Friday. By Saturday night, I had already formulated a plan uh, with Nelson and with Peter on how we could do a Living Campaign, why should we should do a Living Campaign. And we finally tracked down uh, the gentleman who was in charge of the RPGA at the time, uh, Scott Magner, I believe was the, the gentleman's name, very nice guy. Mm-hmm. And I'll never forget it. Uh, I said, you know, we really like to talk to you. And, and I chased this guy around all, all Saturday evening, but he was very busy. And then Sunday, and then finally Sunday afternoon, we finally sat down. He goes, okay, I, I have five minutes. You know, let's talk. And I introduced myself. I said who we were, you know, what we were, what we planned to do. And I'll never forget. He says, you know, I was wondering when one of you D20 guys was going to approach me about that. And, <laughs> and, there we, and he was like, great. We'd love to see that happen. And Living Arcanus was born. And uh, we started working immediately. I believe uh, that was in January. Because it was right on, the, actually the Super Bowl was that weekend. Because uh, I remember my, my friend Nelson's a big football fan, so he had to watch the football game. <laughs> so I remember that clearly. By Gen Con of that year, so what, six, seven months later, seven months later or so, we had launched the, the campaign. We were running, um, actually, Origins, I'm sorry, we, pre, we uh, premiered at Origins of that year, so six months later. We had our first our Living Arcanist campaign. Or, I'm sorry, Living Arcane's uh, event with uh, our first modules and, and whatnot. And like I say, the rest is history, and we really haven't stopped since then. So, <laughs> so for the people who are not familiar with Living Arcanist and the, I guess, all of the iterations, because I know you guys had some changeovers and whatnot, but tell people what was different about Living Arcanist compared to, let's say, Living Greyhawk, which was launched approximately the same time. Like, they were very, very similar Time frames. Uh, true, true. I live in Graham, the, the one first, and I believe we, we were like a year afterwards, uh, or so. I'm, I'm, to be honest, I'm not exactly sure the time. I'm hesitant to, to pinpoint exactly what the differences are because invariably it offends somebody. <laughs> so I, I, <laughs> I, I, I try not to do that. Um, what I will say is I will tell you what Livia Canis did. How, how about that? What do you feel you guys did really, really well? Okay, well, the one thing that we did that I know we did well because we have continued to do it, and it's one thing that people have told me that they love about it, is the fact that we allow people to affect the course of the campaign. And not just the living campaign, but the printed product as well. So, Living Arcanist was predicated on an unwritten rule, and that was I, the publisher, and you, the player, I commit to you to providing free content, basically, because all the adventures that we had were free for download. And in exchange, you come into supporting us by purchasing our books and whatnot. Now, this is an underwritten rule, but at, at its core, that's what it was. And it worked beautifully because people did purchase our products because of the... There's an old adage that I truly believe in, which is, if you play a game, you're more apt, obviously if you enjoy it, you're more apt to turn around and buy it. So if you play it, they will buy it. That's what we've always said. And so we, we started providing content. I was writing... I was actually writing more Living Arcanus adventures than I was actually producing product for the uh, for the, for the <laughs> actual uh, game. And I still do. I spend an inordinate amount of time just writing and writing and writing and writing uh, for the Living Campaign. As a matter of fact, uh, I was I'm planning to, to write the the one for Origins for this year. Uh, right as soon as this, this interview is over, that's what I'm planning to do this evening is to start uh, outlining those adventures. But we've always said that that uh, at special conventions and these special conventions usually. Or it was originally Winter Fantasy, uh, Origins of Gen Con. We just started going back to Winter Fantasy recently. Origins is our, is our big um, convention of the year, where 
all the PCI people come, and it's the, the big events and, and whatnot. And what happens there is that we run, uh, certain, obviously we run adventures, but we also run events called uh, interactives. They could be a battle interactive or a LARP or something in between. And those actually shape the world because they, they usually are pivotal events. It's not a, when we run a battle interactive, it's, it's something important. It's not a minor skirmish or, or whatnot. It is the, you know, the, the battle of, of uh, you know, let's see. Uh, we had the Battle of Sakaris. We've had the Battle of the Four Armies. We've had uh, uh, the, the Invasion of, of Saramario. So we've had all these things, and depending on whether the players succeed or fail, determines which way the event goes. Now, some players may, may be saying, well, yeah, but the heroes always win. And normally I would agree with you, except that during the first iteration of, of linear games back in the D20 days, there was a, it was called the Koryani Civil War. And the Koryani, once again, is that Roman Empire, and there was a civil war going on. Well, the players naturally, and this is not something that I had planned, it just naturally happened organically, they picked sides. And they picked opposing sides. So when we had battle interactives, we actually had player groups battling player groups. Now, there was no PvP, so players weren't attacking players. But their side was battling the other player's side. And so, yes, some players would, one, one side would win and the other side would lose. And it happened over the, the entire six-year period. We must have run, I don't know, 12, 13, 14 battle interactives. And you never know which way it was going to go. And even when, when one side won or lost, they would pull some, some fast, uh, um, a trick out of their sleeves and, and, and may not, have, they still might not have won, but they, they affected the, uh, the world in a certain way. So, uh, like for example, if I can give a quick example, there was a fight, uh, for Solanus War, one of the enclaves of the dwarves. The rebels were, were holding it and the, the, uh, loyalists were invading Solanus War. At the end of that, that big battle interactive, the, 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 uh, the rebels won. They were able to fend off the loyalist attack and, and the loyalists were repelled. But even then, every dwarf has what's called a soul stone. So uh, because of the, the metaphysics of the campaign and the way it works, uh, dwarves are actually celestial giants that were cursed to become dwarves. And their souls are barred from the afterlife as well because of this curse by the gods. So they have these little gems called the soul, soul shards. So when they die, their souls leap into or, or, or siphon into this, this small little gem so that eventually they can, you know, with the hopes that the, the curse is ever lifted, they could be destroyed and the souls would go up to the afterlife. So during this thing, they killed the king of the dwarves, King Nolan. And as they were leaving, this legion called the Legion Lex Talonis, the, the Inquisitors, which was a player uh, legion, the head guy took his standard because they had killed that king and crushed the soul stone meaning that this guy would never be returned and, and he was basically condemned to oblivion. Well, the players really took that to heart, and they actually petitioned us to uh, to write an adventure where they go after those pieces of the soul shard, trying to fit back together to save the guy, the king and whatnot. So that's all promulgated by the player action. And that's happened numerous times. Um, Flesh Ripper, a cursed item that was just a throwaway thing that occurred. <laughs> they loved that, that thing. They loved that thing. So we had to write an adventure where, the event, uh, where uh, eventually the curse was, was broken. They had to go into the sword to figure out what was wrong with it and to release all the souls that were trapped in it and whatnot. So that was pretty cool. And on and on and on and on. There was a dumb thing that Peter came up with a long time ago called Skids. It was an intelligible rat. You could talk to it. Okay? It didn't do anything. So it was a certain item. That, and people love that thing, okay? And this is like from year one, okay? This is a six-year story. Finally, at year six, we had the big finale where 
you find out that this Valinor, this angel, if you will, called Monetus, is really really behind the whole thing. He's trying to rule the empire, and there's this big battle between the angels and the, and, and the uh, which are called Valinors, like I said, and the people. And you find out that Skiz was a uh, polymorph, I guess is the right word, Valinor of, of one of the gods, and the person who had it, you know, threw it out of their pockets and, and leapt out and, and transformed from this rat into this, into this gigantic, you know, beautiful angelic being battling on their side. You know, so we try to run the living campaign like a home campaign on an extraordinarily large basis. And while we don't always succeed, sometimes, you know, our ideas are just, you know, we try it, it didn't work, we try something else. Most of the times we've, we've hit all the feats that we've, that we've wanted to. And it's gone very, very well. People really, uh, really enjoyed it. And quite frankly, at the end of the day, the success of Arcanus and the success of the Living Campaign is truly based or truly on the shoulders of the player base, who are not only just players, but they in turn have written an enormous amount of material for the campaign so that others may enjoy it as well. I mean, during the life of the, the original iteration of uh, Living Arcanus, we gave away and produced with special events. I counted one time, it was over 150, I think it was 157 or 156 different events. And obviously I did not write them all. I wrote a, a small fraction of those. And the rest was all done by players who wished to participate, who wished to give to the campaign, uh, and have other players enjoy their stories. So it's really because of them that any success that we have is, is due to their passion and their participation. I absolutely remember Vince would always talk about it. I believe he wrote some stuff. I think it's stuck. His name's still on uh, a couple of documents from the first campaign. Yeah. But let's fast forward. We're, we're talking fifth edition now. Right. As of the time that this will launch, mm-hmm. you have a Kickstarter going. Right. So why don't we move into the new organized play campaign, sure. fifth edition, and the Kickstarter? So tell me about that. I mean, it all kind of coincides, right? It certainly does. After third edition uh, was over and fourth edition came along, we decided it wasn't a good fit for us. So we decided to create our own game system called the Arcanus Roleplaying Game. And it did very well. It won the 2012 or the 2011, I forgot, Best RPG from uh, uh, from Origins, the Origins Award, which we were very proud of. People seemed to enjoy it very much. But a lot of the people, a lot of our older players, just weren't interested. And by older, I don't mean age. I mean people who used to play before. Just didn't want to learn a new system. They wanted to play what they were familiar with and whatnot. And eventually we were convinced to create or, or, or to port Arcanus to 5th edition uh, Dungeons & Dragons, which now that we've analyzed it and since, came, uh, since it came out and we analyzed it and we really looked at it, it was, it was actually a very, very good fit for it. Now, during the ARG period, when we call it ARG, Arcanus role-playing game, not talking like a pirate, <laughs> during that period we, we extended the, the living campaign and became the Legends of Arcanus campaign, but it was the same story. It was just moved 40 years forward and the story continues and we're doing something called Story Arc now. As I mentioned, the original Living Arcana story arc was six years long. It was actually seven actual years, but it was a six-year story arc, which was way too ambitious. I don't know what I, what I was thinking, <laughs> but we went ahead and we did that. But afterwards, we learned our lesson. We said, you know, from now on, we're going to do two-year story arcs, uh, three years at the most. So during the Legends of Arcana's campaign, we did the, uh, the coming of the, uh, I'm sorry, the, uh, the Crusade, which is an invasion of the Infernals coming over what's called the God's Wall. Basically, all uh, the human kingdoms uh, led by Milandir banding together to you know, stem the tide of this, this demonic invasion. So that went. And then we did something called the Coming of the Destroyer. Now that we're doing the 
in anticipation for the 5th edition, what I did was, and I wanted everybody to be in parody, what I did was I took the entire Coming of the Destroyer story arc and I translated that to 5th edition. And it is available right now. It was, um, by the time this recording goes live, I think we'll be, we'll have somewhere between 17, 16, 17 adventures out. I think there's 20, 22 in total that will be out by the end of uh, May of this year. Free, once again, you can download it and whatnot. That tells the story of, like I said, the coming of the, the, the destroyer. This, uh, this incredibly powerful being, supposedly, that's coming. Nobody knows. Nobody's seen it. Nobody knows exactly what it is, but all this prophecy is coming along and, and whatnot. And it's based in an area that players have always wanted to, to um, uh, play in called the Blessed Lands, which is kind of like our, our Holy Lands. It's the intersection of four different empires and religions and whatnot, so it's, it's kind of like a hotbed. And it's really a cool area to, to explore and to play in, and which we did for two years. So now, hopefully by May, everything will be in parity. Everybody from the 5e will have played what the, what the art players have played. And going forward from this origins forward, we start the new uh, story arc, which basically is a continuation of the coming of the story, which is the War of the Paragons. And that goes forward from there. So, in anticipation of that, we went ahead and we sent, we gave away a free primer, which is a, I believe it was a 60-page primer on, on the world and some basic ideas of, of how you can translate 5th edition to Arcanus, to the Arcanus campaign side. But the Kickstarter is for the, the true Arcanus 5e core book. And this thing is a beast. It's probably going to be well, actually, I know it's going to be over 400 pages. I'm not sure exactly how big. It may be 416, and maybe all the way to 448. Um, so we're still waiting on certain things because we're, we're still in the, in the midst of playtesting. Luckily, the entire manuscript is already written, and 90% of the art, I think, is already in. But obviously publishing books, especially books of that size, are inc- is incredibly uh, expensive. So that's why we're doing the Kickstarter to hopefully fund that. And if we do very well, what I'm really hoping, if this, this thing goes like gangbusters, we can actually fund the um, many books for the line and get people you know, really caught up. We have the Blessed Land source book, which is a 208-page book dealing with that area where the campaign is, is uh, set right now, which is not just a, a fluff book in the sense of story and whatnot, but it also uh, has a lot of crunch. New, uh, new races, new people, uh, backgrounds you can have, uh, new fighting styles, and, and whatnot. And it just goes on from there. But the core book is, is the, the main funding goal. It, it features a lot of uh, great material that uh, Peter, James Baca have been working on. We're in, we're in negotiation right now with um, with Rob Schwab, who's one of the designers of 5th edition, who's going to be doing the rules edit for the book. And it looks pretty good. We should have that uh, uh, that uh, nailed down before the Kickstarter launches, which by the time you guys hear this, it already has. So it's a moot point, I guess. Like, for example, we have uh, a couple lists in the Kickstarter page. Uh, we have things like uh, 20 new, 29 new races and sub-races, new, tra- new takes on um, base classes, new classes. Uh, we have a brand new psionic system, because psionics is very important to Arcanus. There is no psionic system at the moment, so we've created a very new and unique one. New clerical aspects, 13 new holy champion orders, which are paladins. The archetypes, fighting styles, you know, spells, I think it's like 80 or some odd spells, skills, etc., etc., feats, all that. So it's a uh, pretty robust book that will have just about everything you need to continue playing. And when you combine that with the Avengers of Living campaign, basically, you know, we've done a, a lion's share of the work for those people who love to play, but just, you know, their lives 
uh, is very busy and they just don't have time to sit down and write out their own campaign. So even if you don't play the living campaign, you can take, like I'm sure every good GM does, uh, has been doing since, since I started playing back in the 70s, or you take the best of what's out there and you cobble it together and you take a little of this, a little of that, and you put it together and make it your own. So that's it in a nutshell. That's what the Airpanus 5e core book uh, Kickstarter is all about. That's a lot, a lot of material. And we're going to have a, we have a link in the show notes. Everybody will be able to see that. And I honestly, Arcane, it's always been one of those very fun, very in-depth campaign settings. Even a 60-page primer, you're not going to get information. So I encourage everybody to kind of go in there, take a look at it. I believe even as of our recording, the video for the Kickstarter is out now. So um, for those who, who, who just want to take a look and don't know what uh, level of, of uh, support you want to give, take a look at that. So I don't want to belabor the point because I really want people to go and take a look at that case. Sir. And Henry, I actually feel like there's so much more information that I'm going to have to have you come on the show again uh, after the Kickstarter is done. We'll talk more about this, especially about the living campaign. Sure. Um, actually, because I've been exposed a little bit. But I just want to close off with a, like one big thing. Now, because Vince is no longer with us, your biggest fan, and I'm sorry, anybody else who loves Arcanus out there, Vince had you all beat. <laughs> yes, he did. What is the fan of Arcanus? going to get out of all of this? The new 5th edition, right. out of the new um, Living Campaign, what is the, the fan going to get really out of all of this? I, I can't even put it in a better way. Besides everything I already mentioned, there was one thing that, that I did not uh, touch upon, which is something that most of the people who are the diehard fans, like Fitz, and like so many others, that come up to me and, and, and write on our forums and on our Facebook pages, you know, all these crazy theories and whatnot, is the fact that Arcanus is a mystery. I've written the world in, in a way, and others have participated in doing so and added to it. It's an onion, where every time you peel back, you have questions. But why is this like that? Why do why does this contradict this? You know, whatnot. That once you peel back something, and you have an answer to that question, all it does is it creates more questions. Well, if that's true, if X is true, then then why is Z like this? You know, and whatnot. I don't think it's a spoiler because I think we've actually published it by now. One of the things that the players discovered over the uh, the course of the original Living Campaign is that one of the human pantheon gods is actually an aspect of one of the original Sethric gods um, that is still supposedly around. So Anshar's Yig, for example. And that's something that the players have been you know diving into. They've had theories, well, no, Anshar's not really, uh, uh, you know, because we have this mythology to it, and it just doesn't make sense, right? And I wrote it like that on purpose. It's, uh, there's, there's contradictions to the mythology that just doesn't make sense. And why is that? Well, they, they, they started digging into it. The players have dug into it and they've manipulated the, the course of adventures and interactives and whatnot, not just battle interactives, but actual LARPs and whatnot to delve into to see what is this, this, what, what's the story behind this, uh, this priesthood? Because obviously you can't talk to the gods in, in Arcanus. You know, they're out and about. Who knows what they're doing? But you can talk to the priesthood and you can you know, delve into the ancient mysteries and whatnot. And, and they, they discovered this. They discovered this world. That led to another question. If that's the case, then why did Elir, who's the god of perfection and kind of like the Zeus figure, the, the, the head of the pantheon, how could he have been duped, you know, into believing this? And it just goes on and on. And just like that, that upper layer of, of religion and whatnot, there's also other questions of history, especially the history. Like, for example, the, going back to the Ulori, 
the Ori don't have the Lorestries, for some reason they don't have any memory of where they're from as far as, I mean, they know they're from the Vastwoods and they're from a, a city called Alambe, but if they were pressed, they couldn't tell you exactly where that was. Or if they were pressed, they couldn't really tell you and pinpoint details about their lives in, the, in, in that city that supposedly they just left you know, days, months, years ago within living memory. Well, why is that? And there's always another secret. You unveil that. Well, well if that's if that is true, then what does this mean? You know, and that's what keeps people really coming back to it. They they love that mystery. They love to dig into that mystery. And while it isn't an overarching uh, meta plot, if you will, that must be unveiled to really to really enjoy the story, because you can play the adventures and whatnot, and and that all that all that all those secrets and whatnot lay over it or underneath it, I guess, that you don't really have to touch upon. But if you do, and if that's something that really interests you, to try to, you know, puzzle this whole thing out because the clues are all there, then that, I think, is something that really brings people back. <laughs> I don't want to belabor the point. I think, we're, I think we're running a little short on time today. But, Henry, if people want to get in contact with you, they want to get involved, um, what is the best way for them to do that? Obviously, we have our website, which is www.paradigmconcepts.com. There's also three Facebook pages, one for Paradigm Concepts as the company as a whole on Facebook. And there are also two Arcanus uh, Facebook pages, one called um, Arcanus. <laughs> um, well, actually, you know what? Before I speak, let me just go there real quick to make sure I have the exact wording so that nobody uh, goes to the wrong place. There's a website, or I'm sorry, a, a Facebook group called Arcanus, the World of the Shattered Empires, which is basically a settings-only Facebook group. Here's where we talk about those those secrets or those mysteries and whatnot. It is uh, rules agnostic, so nobody talks about you know, hit points or, or classes or whatnot. This is solely about the world. Then the last one is called is, is the official Arcanus Organized Play Campaign Facebook page, and that's where you talk about um, not only what's coming up, new adventures that have been released are announced there as well as on, on the other pages. But if you have a question, usually we, we, we ask people to market either 5e or ARG so that people know what, what system you're asking about. Um, and it works very well. You post your question and, and literally within minutes, someone <laughs> will, will answer because we have lots of game gurus out there that not only know the world but the rules very, very well. And they go ahead and, uh, and they will answer you. And if they don't, obviously, Peter or I are always on around and we will answer as, as quickly as we can. We have a pretty good response time. Lastly, I have, uh, oh, we're also on Twitter, which is Paradigm Concept, without the S at the end, because apparently there's a limit to letters. So uh, we're on Twitter as well. And lastly, my personal email, where you can send me uh, uh, any questions or any concerns or, or whatnot that you may not want to post on a, on a public forum is PCI Paradigm Process Incorporated. So PCI Henry, H-E-N-R-Y, at gmail.com. And I try to respond as quickly as I can. Well, Henry, thank you so much for coming on the show. I know Vince would have loved to, to talk with you again, but I definitely want to talk with you soon. Um, everybody will have all the links for that, the links to this Kickstarter inside on the show notes. Please go and visit. Please give them their support. And Henry, I hope to have you on again in a future show, uh, especially after the Kickstarter, and let us know how everything's going and how the uh, Living Campaign is going as well. Absolutely. Thank you so much. I just want to say thank you very, very much for, for having me on. I also want to commend you. 
because, um, like, like I said, I, I know Vincent, uh, obviously not as well as you do, but I have met Vincent uh, quite a few times. I've spoken with him, uh, corresponded with him. And I think this is a, a, a very, very nice and touching tribute that you're doing uh, for him. So I don't want to say personally thank you for, for doing this. And, and, of course, thank you for having me on as well. Advantage to Insight is a Misdirector Mark production, the media arm of Encoded Designs. Uh, I'd like to thank you for coming on the show. And everybody, uh, keep listening, and we'll talk to you soon. Have a great night.